Blog Talk Radio. And a good afternoon to all you Brooklyn folk. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here on the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. I am uh, very, very pleased to welcome back. Really, you know, he was our first guest ever uh, on the uh, inaugural episode, uh, which also included Larry King. And uh, I, I'm proud to welcome him back to uh, the Bedford and Sullivan podcast for the first time in 2017. And that is Ron Schweiger, the Brooklyn Borough historian. What's going on, Ron? Uh, well, I got some ice to chop out of my driveway so I can get my car in. Well, I hope that doesn't take you too long. And I think that's, that's a perfect way to start this because uh, the weather this week just uh, made me want to discuss with you uh, kind of a little bit about the history of weather in Brooklyn. And obviously, uh, we're talking recorded history, of course. Now, I'm, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, start with, um, we'll start with the snow. Uh, obviously, because it, it's cold out there, it just snowed. Like you said, you got to chop some ice. Um, and one, of, some of the most fantastic photos that I, I am able to find out uh, there on the internet ether, if you will, uh, are from the blizzard of 1888. And uh, how, how much snow did we actually get in the blizzard of 1888? Um, well, in, in New York City measurement, it was 21 inches of snow. Uh, by the way, it was March 12th to the 14th. It lasted about two, two days, two and a half days. Um, and it was 21 inches of snow. The temperature dropped to three degrees, and the wind reached Category 1 hurricane strength at about 75 miles per hour. And uh, keep in mind, there wasn't much electricity in 1888, and most of the electric lines that did exist were overhead on the, on, the tele, on the electric poles, and a lot of those were knocked down by the wind, and, um, and thereafter, a lot of the developments in certain suburban neighborhoods of New York City, uh, for example, in, in Flatbush and in Midwood, when the homes were built around the turn of the century, the developers placed a lot of the utility lines underground, the gas lines, um, the electric lines, and the only lines that you will see above ground in those neighborhoods are in the backyards, and those are the telephone lines. Right, of course. Uh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, and obviously, you know, it, it, it prevents uh, electricity from going out, gas from going out, gas from spilling, of course. Um, That's so right. So other than, the, uh, other than uh, 1888, uh, let's, let's – focus then on 1937 to 1957, which is, of course, my focus on the, uh, uh, the project that I'm doing. Um, wh- wh- when did snow really wreak havoc during those years? Is, is there any particular year that stands out? Yeah, 1947. It was um, December 26th, the day after Christmas. And uh, that was, the, the, up until that point, the deepest snow ever recorded in New York City. It was 26.4 inches of snow, just over two feet. And, um, I mean, everything stood still. Uh, I know there's one story that uh, my mother told that my uncle, my mother's younger brother, um, he was coming home from work on the Brighton line, which is today the B and the Q train that runs through Brooklyn along East 16th Street. And we were living on Avenue S between East 7th and East 8th. And the, the tracks are above ground. You know, they're outside, not in a tunnel. So uh, the tracks became impassable, and the train stopped at Avenue J and couldn't go any further. 
and my uncle had to walk from Avenue J and East 16th Street during the storm <laughs> to Avenue S between East 7th and East 8th. And when he got to the house, because he was, he was staying with us in our house. He wasn't married yet. And uh, he looked like the abominable snowman, my mother said, when he walked in the house. <laughs> he, he had to stay in the back hall and get all, all the snow Did off of him. Did he at least have boots on? That I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that part of the story. <laughs> but it was, um, it was pretty bad. In fact, our family had a candy store on the opposite corner of East, East 8th Street, on the let's see the southeast corner of the East Eighth and Avenue S, and we lived diagonally across the street. And my grandfather would open up the candy store um, at um, like five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. And uh, so my uncle and my father, and by the way, my father's younger brother uh, Sam, he, and by the way, his name was Sam too, Sam, <laughs> uh, my uncle. They got up really early and shoveled a path from the front of our house diagonally across the street to the front of the candy store so my grandfather could open the store. And as the story goes, when my grandfather got up to go to open the store, he ignored the path and just trudged through the snow to open up the store. So my uncle and my father did all that work for him, and and he just didn't use the path. But the snow was pretty well, deep, hey, and uh, you know, you gotta, everything stood you still. The buses, yeah. And I, I was uh, I was two and a half years old at that time, so I have no recollection of that at all. But that was in 1947. In 1967, I believe, was now I see it was I think that was Mayor Lindsay's snowstorm, I believe, um, mm-hmm. where um, the United States Weather Service predicted little or no accumulation and it ended up about a foot of snow and so much for the forecasting back then um right exactly and um i don't remember who it was but somebody um you know what i think it was the head of the tw the transport the transit workers union uh the irish guy michael quill with his heavy brogue accent and he demanded that someone from the Weather Bureau come to his home and clean off the 12 inches of no accumulation in front of his house. (laughs) And that was in 19, I believe, 1967. Now, there's a winter that I recall very vividly, the winter of 1960-61, from December 60 to March 61, that winter was extremely severe as far as cold and especially heavy, big snowstorms. And it started in December of 60. And on December 11th, there was um, um, 15 inches of snow. 15 inches on December 11th. And on the morning of the 13th, the temperature dropped to 8 degrees. And that wow. was before winter. It was the end of fall. And that was uh, uh, the, the, uh, the prelude of what's to come during the winter. So in December, what, we what, got 15 what inches. The, what was the date of the, the plane accident in 1960? I'm sorry, what was the date of the what? The plane accident, the, the date of the plane accident in 1960. Oh, that and happened that, right that, after the snowstorm. The snow? oh, yeah, okay. I think it was December 15th. And um, the uh, TWA 
TWA and I believe a United Aircraft collided in midair over the city, I think over Staten Island, and the I think it was the United plane um, tried to make it to um, the airport because it was it was damaged. I, I heard, and I heard the they pilot, were for Prospect Park. Yes, the pilot was trying to get to Prospect Park because he knew he would never make it to the airport, and he crashed right into the middle of Park Slope. At, I think it was Seventh Avenue and Sterling Place, right into the middle of the and, intersection, clipping several of the buildings and houses there. And, and for all everyone on board, were, both planes were killed. However, there was, I think, a 10 or 11-year-old boy on the United craft that crashed in Park Slope. Um, he survived temporarily, taken to Methodist Hospital a few blocks away on 7th Avenue, where he died, I believe, the following day. Um, and that, that was a terrible incident. I, I remember that vividly. In fact, several of the um, um, people who died are buried in Greenwood Cemetery here in Brooklyn, and there's a special memorial there for them um, at, at the burial site. Um, and that was about two days or three days after the December snowstorm. Now comes January, and on January 19th and 20th of 61, same winter, there was 10 inches of snow, okay? So you had December, big storm, January, big storm. And now let's go to February, the next month. February 3rd and 4th, 17 and a half inches of snow, the biggest one of all. And Mayor, Mayor Wagner of New York City declared a state of emergency and all non-essential vehicles were not allowed to be on the street. The streets were empty. Well, they couldn't drive anyhow because how deep the snow was. And uh, so total for the entire winter of 60-61 was 54.7 inches of snow. Now, so far this winter of 2016-2017, including what we just had the other day, we now have approximately 27 or 28 inches of snow for the winter. That's half of what they had in the winter of 60-61. Now, remember how mild this month was in February. So look what's happened. All of a sudden, the weather patterns have changed, and we're getting the worst of the winter now at the end of the winter. In fact, in four days, it's the beginning of spring. Who knows? And, and you never know, obviously, uh, no matter how good technology gets, weather will never be predictable. Uh, for all of you who live in New York City and also specifically uh, Brooklyn and Park Slope, uh, you go to Sterling Place um, in Park Slope, Sterling Place and 7th Avenue, and you will see uh, some of these buildings do not look like the other, and that's because uh, a good amount of them are, are very new, considering that the rest of them were built in the, the uh, late 1800s, but uh, some have suffered uh, considerable damage uh, in the, the plane crash, and, and obviously they eventually had to build new buildings, so... Uh, that is something to keep an eye out when you're uh, when you're in Park Slope because uh, uh, everything else uh, looks to be of of the the circa 1800 date, and except for you know a few that that are clearly a lot newer. Uh, so so Ron, I I typed in while we were talking Brooklyn Dodgers snow, and there's a couple of pictures that came up that you know you may or may not be able to shed some light on. Uh, first, it, um, I'll, I'll go with. Uh, uh, you know, the era that's uh, uh, much more famous and also uh, successful for the Dodgers. Um, 
which is uh, in 1950, I see, and it looks like that uh, uh, there was a snowstorm that greeted the Dodgers for a homecoming exhibition tilt with the New York Yankees in 1950. And there's a famous photo that uh, is quoted to Getty here um, that has Jackie Robinson, uh, Gil Hodges, Pee Wee Reese, and Roy Campanella with a snowman with a Dodgers hat on. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. I have a lot of Brooklyn Dodger photos here at home, but I've never seen that picture. Yeah, so according to their, excuse me, I will read it, and everybody, this is on Getty Images. Uh, it it, it uh, reads, the, the title here, it reads, um, A flattering sun soaked up some of the snow that whitewashed the Brooklyn Dodgers' homecoming exhibition tilt with the New York Yankees today, but too late to do any good for the fans. The stalwart Brooks, however, were undaunted by the snowman and built themselves a replica of the old gent to while away the time. Gathering around the snowman here are catcher. <laughs> I'd like to say, I'll, I'm going to check that out on Getty Images. That's that's, that's a nice yeah, picture, I'm exactly. sure. But I, I remember when the, the Mets were down, first yeah. created in 1962. Um, for two seasons in 62 and 63, um, Shea Stadium hadn't been built yet, and the Mets were playing at the Polo Grounds, the home of the old uh, New York Giants baseball team. And I remember. There was a ball game, and I don't remember whether it was in 62 or 63, where these gigantic wet snowflakes were coming down, and, uh, and it, it was during, during the ball game. And I think they had to postpone the game because it was, it was too cold, first of all, and then there was the snow coming down. How, whether it accumulated or not, I don't remember, but I remember these big, big flakes of snow coming down in, uh, in early April of either 62 or 63. And by the way, speaking of April, Sam, um, you know, the daffodils are growing, the trees are starting to bloom, and trees are starting to flower, those trees that do flower. And I remember very distinctly, on April the 6th, 1982, now this is um, almost a month into spring, a couple of weeks into spring, and all of a sudden, we get... 10 inches of snow, the temperature drops to 20 degrees, and, and that's what it was this morning. We're just above 20 this morning, and uh, the wind was howling at 50 miles an hour. And I remember that day I was living on Rugby Road in Flatbush, and there were two people that went skiing down the middle of the block on April the 6th. Yeah. Five days later, the temperature was 70 degrees. So strange things can happen in the weather. And they certainly do. That is for sure. It, it reminds me of the blizzard of 96 when I saw people uh, cross-country skiing down 7th Avenue. And, and uh, for all of you uh, uh, out there, the Getty image picture is dated April 14, 1950. So a little bit of snow in the Brooklyn Dodgers. And another photo that I found, and uh, for all of you as well as Ron, you can find this if you just type in Brooklyn Dodgers snow. It's one of the first photos that come up. It looks like the Dodgers spent 1943-1944. Uh, uh, they had their spring training in frigid Bear Mountain, New York, during World War II. And there's uh, these fantastic photos. One of just all all of the the Dodgers. And I, if I yeah, they're wearing the Dodger uh, flannels as opposed to the Brooklyn flannels. But they're uh, uh, the the war year players are uh, have some skis on uh, about. <laughs> Uh, eight of them or so, and then there's another one where they're holding up the, the ski 
I'm, I'm totally spaced on I've never gone skiing, actually, but I'm totally spacing on what the, those specific items are called. Uh, just ski shoes, I guess. Um, but they're, they're holding the railways, I guess. That was it. Uh, or something like that. No, the railways were jammed and spring training site moved is what this says here. So I'm uh, completely ignorant. But they're holding the, uh, the, the ski items up and they're pretending to, uh, to back, of course, uh, you know, some photo ops here. And, and they're, they're fantastic as well. But, uh, you know, considering that uh, I've never gone skiing, I'm done uh, talking about it and embarrassing myself. <laughs> so, Ron, you can, uh, you can look that up on, on Google just by typing Brooklyn Dodgers Snow. Oh, I'll definitely do that. And just so your listeners can get a, a, an idea of some of the weather extremes here in New York City, um, the highest temperature ever recorded in New York City, which, of course, would be Brooklyn as well, was 106 degrees. Keep in mind that that temperatures are taken in the shade, not in the sun. 106, that was on July 9, 1936. And the coldest ever recorded in New York City was 15 degrees below zero. That's not the wind chill. That is the actual temperature on the thermometer, 15 below zero, February 9th, 1934. So those are the temperature extremes that New York City has endured. And, uh, and of course, um, uh, we get hurricanes too. And, of course, the biggest one that is in everybody's mind right now is Hurricane Sandy. But we've had hurricanes before that. Fortunately, not that many. And the most, the n- most notable ones, um, again, before uh, uh, most of us uh, were around, in 1938, there was a hurricane called the Long Island Express. Now, we know that hurricanes have names, but names weren't given to hurricanes until uh, the early 1950s. And uh, so they gave... It was called the Long Island Express because um, at 5 a.m., the hurricane was off the coast of North Carolina. Keep in mind, there were no satellites back then, no Internet, and these were only uh, um, local land reports being transmitted uh, by radio. So 5 a.m., the hurricane was off the center of uh, the coast of North Carolina. At 5 p.m., it was crossing central Long Island. Now, if you keep within the speed limit, you can't drive from North Carolina to New York to Long Island during that 12-hour period. You'd have to go above the speed limit. And that's why it was called the Long Island Express. It just zoomed up the coast, and it rammed into Long Island and into southern New England. Provincetown, Rhode Island, was flooded completely, and it killed about 600 people because people were caught wow. on the highways, on the roads during the rush hour, uh, unprepared, not knowing that the storm is coming this rapidly. And it, it was a terrible storm. About, um, let's see, six years later, 1944, was known as the Great Atlantic Hurricane. And New York City recorded a wind of 99 miles an hour during that storm. Um, then if we move to 1955, New York City got two storms within two weeks of each other, Hurricane Connie and Hurricane Diane. Oh, there go the names. Names were started in the early 50s, but they start with the, the uh, Hurricane Center in Miami, Florida, started to give them 
army code names, alphabetically, Abel, Baker, Charlie, Dog. Well, the public didn't appreciate the army names. So they started to give the hurricanes women's names, and alphabetically, A, B, C, D, one after the other. Well, that was um, the early 50s. By 1979, the women's organization, National Organization of Women, now, they protested. Well, why can't you give hurricanes men's names as well? Well, that's what they did. And in 1979, the first male-named hurricane, um, uh, which would be the letter B, I don't remember what it was, but the first male-named hurricane that struck any landmass was Hurricane David. And what landmass did Hurricane David hit? None other than the Virgin Islands. Now, that's not a joke. That is actual fact. <laughs> so that's where the names of hurricanes go. So speaking, speaking of extreme weather, we'll, we'll go to the opposite side since we've been talking about the winter so much. Um, uh, you know, and your you know, good segue with the hurricane. Uh, I, I was back, back when I first wrote uh, the, the first draft of, of the pilot um, that I'm still on a third draft of right now. I chose a date, July 10th, 1937, and it seemed like a perfect date to start of showing how far the Dodgers had to go. Uh, and that was against the Giants uh, at Ebbets Field, where Carl Hubble shut them out four to nothing. And what was awesome also uh, about that was that, uh, you know, at the time I had access to the New York Times archives, and I was able to find that on July 10th, 1937, there were, I, I forget whether it was record-setting heat, but it was at least 95 degrees in the city. There was about 200,000 or more at Far Rockaway, and you can imagine how many were on the Brooklyn uh, uh, beaches as well. Um, but apparently about 25 people died of heat strokes across the city. And I, I'm not sure if you have any idea what the uh, 1937 summer was like, but, but uh, I had, you know, it, it was nice to get some of the, the uh, extreme details uh, through the archives while writing my, my piece. Well, I have in front of me right now a weather almanac that was put out by the New York Daily News they, from 19, let's see, 1954 into the, 19, uh, into the early 70s, I believe. And I'm looking in the 1962 almanac now. And they list day by day, month by month, the weather records. So I'm going to look through the, right now, in the summer months of, 19, uh, of July, and to see if any heat records were broken in July of 1937, and I'm going down the list right, okay, here we go, number one, um, July 8th, 1937, 98 degrees was the record for that day, and I'm going down further, I see 1936, oh my goodness, well there's 1936, I mentioned earlier, 106 degrees on July 9th, mm -hmm. and on July 10th in 1936, it was 102 degrees, so I'm looking for 37, 1937, the only record up until 1962 is only one 1937 record on, on the 8th of 98 degrees. I'll go to August now. August, um, nope, I don't see any 1937s. There's a lot of 1944s, a lot of them, but you can, and I have something you can to say imagine. about that in a second. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I can imagine what it was like, uh, you know, if it was uh, 98 degrees on July 8th in July, most likely it wasn't going to shoot down to 40 degrees in two days. (laughs) No, that's right. Um, I have here um, a listing of the summer... Let's see, I'm going to turn to the right page here in this almanac. Um, There it is. Um, The winter, I'm sorry, the summer of 1944, um, from June through September, had 37 days during that summer where the temperature was 90 degrees or higher. And that, I think to this day, that might still be the record. 37 days of, during the summer. That's a little more than a month of the summer where the temperature was over 90. And in July of 1944, that, that summer, 17 days of the month of July 1944, the temperature was 90 or higher. And it broke quite a few records. Um, that, uh, let's see, in July. Let, I'm going to turn back to July again and see how many... 1944. Well, here's August 1944. Okay, July 4th and 5th, 100 degrees and 101 degrees respectively, a record. Okay, uh, July 11th, 44, 102. The 12th, 13th, also 97 and 96 are records. Oh my goodness, look at this one. Uh, the 16th and 17th, 96 and 95, respectively, are records. Look at how, look at that, all that in 1944, just in August, broke high temperature records. That is rough. Yeah, and that's just August. If I turn to July, let's see if July has any. Um, okay, just one for July, 94 degrees on the 25th. But that was probably one of the hottest uh, uh, summers, 1944. That was the year before I was born. <laughs> so I don't remember that one. Sure, my mother does. She was pregnant with me. <laughs> Try, you're trying to keep you safe uh, out of the heat. Yeah, I, I should hope so, yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, 1953 was also a very hot summer. 32 days of the summer had 90 degrees or more. And... Uh, the summer of 1961 had 29 days of over 90 degrees. So uh, we've had hot summers in the past. And, uh, and, listen, and New we'll York summers are, not, are known for its heat, its humidity. Some summers are cooler than others. Some are hotter than others. But, you know, that's the way weather goes. And, uh, and the question always comes up, what about global warming? Is it true? I mean, is it a fact? Well, um, Several, in 2008, my wife and I uh, went on a 12-day uh, a land cruise tour to Alaska. And when we were in Juneau, Alaska, we went to visit the Mendenhall Glacier, which is a bus ride away outside the city. And uh, where we were standing, the tour guide was explaining that the spot we were standing at um, about 40 or 45 years prior that's where the glacier was. And we now are looking a half mile away, and there's where the glacier is. So since, since 40 or 45 years ago, the glacier has receded 
a little more than half a mile from where the visiting center is now in, in Juneau, Alaska, in the Mendenhall Glacier near Juneau, Alaska. And so this ice is receding. It's melting. And, uh, and yeah, they got cold winters up there. I mean, this winter was pretty cold up in Fairbanks. They had quite a few days that were well, well below zero. But they have longer growing seasons now because the summers are warmer. So who knows? I mean, uh, global warming is real. It is happening. And uh, just take a look at aerial shots taken from the, space shot, from the satellites at the North Pole each winter. And you see that the ice isn't as widespread as it used to be. It grows in the winter, recedes a little in the summer, but it is receding more than it is growing. And the photographs show that. And there's the proof. Well, in, and and the way how crazy the weather is these days, I'm, I'm happy to get the, some consistent cold. You know, and I, I want it one way or the other. I don't want it to be uh, 60 degrees and then 30 degrees uh, and vice versa. Well, that's what we had uh, last week. Ron, we don't. <laughs> we exactly. We don't have too much time left in the live part, but uh, if uh, we do go over, I just want to let everybody know they can listen to the archive. Just go to. Uh, uh, blog Talk Radio backslash Bedford and Sullivan in Brooklyn. And Ron, uh, I, yeah. I, I'm going to go on a, a little bit of a tangent uh, uh, from the weather. And uh, I, I've been, uh, you know, working uh, on the on the pilot again. And it came up uh, Steve McKeever's death. And I actually currently live about a block away from Holy Cross Cemetery. And I'd, I've only visited Gil Hodge's gravesite. But I was just reading that. Uh, Steve McKeever is also buried there. Do you have any idea as to where I could find Steve McKeever in the Holy Cross Cemetery? Um, you probably would have to um, contact whoever is in charge of the cemetery. Um, I have a friend. Uh, his name is Alan Zero, And a a Alan, uh, like I do tours of Brooklyn historic neighborhoods. Well, Alan does cemetery tours. And uh, I don't think he's done... Holy Cross, um, but I'll ask him and see if he has any idea. And if he does know, I'll give, I'll get in touch with you. But I would definitely get in touch with whoever is in charge of the cemetery itself, and perhaps right. I can find out. Yeah, for all of those of you who uh, like exploring Brooklyn, you got to go to uh, you know, uh, there's a bunch of cemeteries that are fantastic, uh, and uh, of course uh, uh, Greenwood Cemetery is the most famous. Uh, but Holy Cross Cemetery is spectacular as well. Not only uh, do you have Gil Hodges there that you can pay respects to, uh, but there's just some magnificent stones uh, from years past that, that really give you an insight on, uh, you know, the way that, that people were uh, memorialized back in the day and, and just the way people uh, presented uh, the aesthetics uh, back in the day. So, I would. Uh, I've I've done a little bit of perusing of the Holy Cross Cemetery, uh, and I completely spaced on the fact that Steve McKeever, a former owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, is buried there. Uh, but I definitely have to check that out soon. And uh, I appreciate you bringing uh, to my attention uh, the name Alan Darrow. So thank you, Ron. It's always a pleasure to have you on the uh, the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. And uh, you know we always have. Uh, uh, basically uh, an infinite amount of topics about Brooklyn that we can talk about. So thank you. My pleasure. Anytime, Sam. All right, everybody. We appreciate you joining us this afternoon, and we'll catch you next time on the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. Have a good one. Take care.